welcome to this episode of Talking Theology Along the Way. I'm Dustin Coleman. I'm John Candler. I'm Jonathan Woodyard. And our aim is to help real-life people think theologically through real-life problems for God's glory and our everlasting joy. So today we want to talk about why we need each other in the Christian life. We're going to spend this podcast discussing friendships, partnerships on all kinds of different levels. We're going to talk about it on personal level, a small group level, church level, even beyond churches for churches working together in larger networks. We're going to talk about all that, not just as pastors, but also as church members, why it's important for us to have partnerships in the gospel. Now, Jonathan, I know Jonathan's a church planner, and when you started your church plant, Jonathan, the first book you preached through was Philippians. Is that right? That's correct. And one of your big ideas in preaching that book was because it was focusing on partnerships in the gospel. So can you talk a little bit about that and why you picked that? Sure. It was the very first sermon that I preached, a first sermon series that uh, we preached through when we officially launched the church. And my first sermon, if I remember correctly, it's been a couple of years ago now, I did an overview of the book of Philippians. I like to do overviews of books, but if we're going to start a book study, I'll first do a a sermon that just overviews the entire book itself and try to point out the major themes that run through it. And when it comes to Philippians, uh, a lot of people, if if you read commentators on Philippians, they'll say that the theme of Philippians is joy. Uh, you know, you have Paul referencing some type of joy or rejoicing about 14 or so times in the letter. Uh, and I think that's right. I mean, joy absolutely runs through through the letter of uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Uh, but one of the other things that runs through the letter is this idea of partnership, of partnering in the partnering in the gospel. Uh, this fellowship that they have in grace, this partnership in the spirit. Uh, These themes also run through the book of Philippians. And so I I wanted to look at how do joy and partnership relate. And what I walked away with is partnership for me seemed to be the bigger or more dominant note that was struck in Philippians. And what happened is this partnership in the gospel, this working together together, uh, for the cause of Christ, this working together to see the gospel advance was the very thing that that gave rise to the joy. So why is Paul joyful? Why is Paul rejoicing? Well, he opens up his book uh, in, I think, verse four. He says he's he's rejoicing because of their partnership in the gospel. In chapter two, he looks at these Philippian believers who are of the same mind. They're of full accord. They have the same love. They have one mind. He says that a couple of times in chapter two, and it's producing this joy in Paul. And so I, I'm walking away from that and saying one of the very grounds of Paul's happiness, one of the very reasons he's rejoicing is because He's linking arms with other believers, and he's seeing other believers link arms amongst themselves for the advance of the good news. And so I, I just walked away thinking, hey, this, this is amazing. One of the ways that God is going to make us happy, joyful in this Christian life is as we work together for the advance of the gospel. So I, I said it this way, there's a churchly contribution to your joy in Jesus. The church contributes to your joy, and one of the ways the church does that is you link arms for the gospel. 
So you're, we're going to be happier as Christians, more joyful, if we are hitching our lives together with other Christians. And not necessarily just hitching them together so that we can have fun and somebody to watch football games with, but hitching our lives together for the purpose of gospel advancement. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. You know, we're, you mentioned, I think, I can't remember if it was podcast, last podcast or the one before it, you and I, we were all talking and you had mentioned us going to the mall together to share the gospel. Uh, yeah. And so you remember that conversation? Uh, and so we think back on those things and, and even in the midst of doing those things, and is there not a sense of joy when we're working together for the good news of Jesus? Is there not a sense of joy that arises in your life when you're sitting down over a cup of coffee with uh, another brother or sister in Christ and you're hearing about their gospel driven efforts. So um, case in point, I have uh, a member of our church, this particular couple are just amazingly gifted. And when it comes to reaching out to their neighbors and pressing into people. And I was on the phone with uh, the lady last week, we were talking through a few things and, and she's telling me of this evangelistic encounter that she's had with this other person, and she is just on fire. I mean, she is she is excited. And what's happening to me as I'm hearing this? I'm I'm happy. I'm there's joy rising up within me. I, I'm thinking higher of Jesus. I'm thinking of the gospel. I'm thinking of uh, the mission, and, and it's giving me joy because. I'm seeing her move out in mission, uh, and it just it it's, uh, contributes to my joy in Christ. Yeah, so we're gonna be we're gonna be more joyful people if we are joining a church. Now, just joining a church isn't gonna make you happier because you want it to be a church that is actually engaging in the mission. But doing that with other Christians is gonna contribute to your joy. So we want to talk about that on different levels, personal levels, churchwide levels, beyond church. So, John, let me start with you. What are some ways that you are linking arms with other people, just personally, maybe in smaller groups? And what does that look like for you? Yeah, so when I think of partnership, one of the things that first comes to mind is this idea of human flourishing. Uh, Embracing partnership really embraces the Genesis 1 and 2 reality that that I and that we are people created in the very image of God, and we're created for community, community with God and with other people, uh, and that we need others in our lives in order to flourish according to God's good design for us. So practically speaking, this, what I would call flourishing through partnership, it fleshes out in just a ton of ways individually. There's a, there's a lot of ways we can go about talking about it. But here's just three things that I can think of in my life and in my, my family that come to mind. So one is spiritual growth. Uh, the reality is there are sins in my life that I'm often blind to, that if I'm left alone by myself, apart from the grace of God, I I would not see unless I'm brought into partnership and fellowship 
with other people. So, so for example, and maybe y'all can relate to this, but I didn't realize how selfish I am until I got married and had a son and faced the decision to get up at three o'clock in the morning to console a crying baby or lay in bed and make my wife, who, mind you, was already up every three hours feeding him, uh, get up and get even less sleep herself. Uh, There were honestly times where I just wanted to serve myself and sleep. And I had no idea just how selfish I was uh, in my affections for rest uh, until they were tested in this way. And it was brought about because of the partnership I have with my wife in marriage and because of the the family and doing life together with other people. So so I was uh, able to to grow spiritually doing life together uh, with others. So that's just one one thing that comes to mind. A second is partnerships have really helped my family with parenting wisdom. So the last year or so, we have started homeschooling our oldest son, James. He's going into first grade this year. And last year, we had a really hard time with math. We had a math curriculum that was, it was a fine curriculum, but it was pretty laborious and labor intensive. And it it was just kind of a a drudgery. And my son didn't really enjoy, I mean, he learned, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't joyful. So we were thinking about changing curriculums and we're kind of new to this whole homeschool thing. And so one of the things that Natalie's been able to do is she's been able to create partnerships with other homeschool moms, some that go to church with us, others that don't. And these ladies have wisdom and they've been able to say, Hey, we we're further down the road. Here are some other options you may want to consider. And they pointed us to another option that, uh, that we we've chosen. And you know, we're two weeks into the into the fall, so not, not very far in, but two weeks in, my son is already saying things like, I can do math and enjoy it. And, and for me, Dustin, and you can relate to this, I love that because I'm a math kind of guy. Math is one of my favorite subjects. Dustin, you were a math major when uh, when you were in college, but partnerships have helped us better parent our, our children. And then one other thing I'll, I'll quickly say is that partnerships can help us strengthen our marriages. So you know, we're doing life together in the context of local church. This weekend, I'm going to watch your kids. Y'all go have a date night. Go spend time working on your marriage. Next week, you watch our kids. And so we can help each other out in that way just to, to kind of strengthen our marriages. So just a couple of things like that. Partnerships, helping us grow and to flourish better as humans. That's good. I think I would uh, chime in uh, just briefly and talk about the fact that we need each other around us is something that you see in the scripture, uh, you see in the Bible. Uh, you begin at the very beginning. You go to the creation account. It is not good for man to be alone. And so you get Adam has a helper that is created next to him, right? Uh, and so you, you get this idea of running through scripture that we need each other. You think of the life of the apostle Paul who... Uh, is just not alone. He's traveling with companions. I think of uh, all the people that he mentions at the end of, say, uh, Second Timothy. Uh, he's 
he's got, he has traveling companion, companions through the book of through the book of Acts, and so you see this in Scripture. It is not man; it is not good for man to be alone. And and then you see people like Paul that are traveling together. Even our Lord, even Jesus, is not uh, doing life by himself. He is <laughs> surrounded by uh, twelve disciples, uh, and it's something I've learned in my own life. My my tendency in the past has been to think that I could do things by myself, that I'm okay alone. I don't need a whole lot of people around me. And I've come to see over probably the last two years, I've really, I've really seen that I'm, I'm not who I thought I was. I actually value and need partnerships. I need other people in my life more so than what I ever believed or realized and I've really learned that as I've had to be the kind of solo pastor in in the early days of our church plant, uh, that I, I need people around me. Now, it's true. I like I don't like to have a lot of people around me, like when I'm writing a sermon or writing a paper or reading a book. But when it comes to day to day ministry and strategizing and dreaming, then I really like to have people around me. So uh, I've learned that about myself that uh, I value partnership more so today than I perhaps did even two years ago. Yeah, I'll jump in real quick and say two things. On a more individual level, some of the things you were talking about, John, earlier, one of them was correction. We need those close partnerships, close, I mean, partnerships, we say friendships too, friendships to help point out to us the things that we can't see. When you're there at the whole church on Sunday morning, that's not the time to point it out. You don't want to be greeting people on Sunday morning, and then someone says, hey, by the way, I just wanted to tell you that uh, you don't take correction very well, and you probably need to work on that. See you next Sunday. (laughs) But when you have closer friendships, people who can pull you aside, you're with them, you're doing life with them, you're in one another's homes, there are opportunities for them to pull you aside and say, hey, man, I've seen this in your life, and it's it's something that you you might want to work on. That happened to me just recently, somebody in our church came up and he told me that the way that I I texted with him made him feel like I didn't have time for him. And I don't want to get into all the specifics, but he let me know, hey, you might want to change your texting habits because it's 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 making me feel like our, our friendship isn't that good. Huh. So that's helpful. And then secondly, making tough decisions. Man, it's been so huge for our family to have close friends to do that. When it's just you and your wife or you and your husband, you're, you're trying to talk through an issue. You've only got that one other perspective to bounce things off of. You can almost get tired of talking about it. But we just recently had a huge decision in the life of our family we had to think through. And to be able to have people like John and Jonathan on this podcast and guys in our church like Eddie and Israel and Christopher and Clayton, to just have a dinner and sit down and say, Hey, help us think through this. What do you guys see? That's good. Was really good. Really good for us. That's good. Dustin, let me me throw a question out to you as we're moving along here. We've talked about partnership, uh, you know, looked at Philippians. uh, We've looked at partnership on an individual level. But let's move, if we could, to the corporate level, the church level. And could you speak a little bit to why we need partnership 
in local churches, uh, you know, not just a distinct group of friends, like, uh, you know, we've mentioned here, but we need structure, we need accountability, we need membership, we need to partner together in the context of a, a local church. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, so here's here's Dustin's hot take for the day. You are not living a faithful Christian life if you are not a member of a local church. You guys would agree or disagree with that? Man, uh, that's a big, uh, big statement. So you, unless you are in covenant membership somewhere, you would say... Or at least actively seeking it. Okay, you would say that somebody is not living a faithful Christian life in any way or any shape and form, or is that just categorically you're completely unfaithful? I mean, can you nuance that a little bit maybe? I don't want to. Do you see a reason why I should? Uh, I would say that I agree with you, but yet some people, that may be a new statement uh, for some people. And so I would want to say you can be doing faithful things. You may be sharing the gospel. You could be studying your Bible, have a solid prayer life, and you could live in a context where maybe membership's never been taught. You've never heard, it's not something your church talks about. Uh, we have in the context I live in right now, membership is a, is a fairly new idea to a lot of people, not because they're unfaithful or trying to be unfaithful, but because nobody's ever taught them. Uh, discipleship has been lacking. Church, tradi- different ter- church traditions just haven't emphasized it. So I would want to nuance it a bit to say you are not living as faithfully as you could, and you're missing out on the blessings that come with it. So I, I would nuance it in some of those ways, maybe. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. One of the reasons why I want to say that so strongly is particular texts in the Bible. Uh, so take Hebrews 13, where the writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. How can you carry out that command outside of submitting yourself to membership and accountability in a local church? Mm-hmm. Or even after that, they say that the leaders have to give an account for those under their charge. Yeah. Uh, for whom are they giving an account? There has to be, is it every Christian in my area? Is it everybody who's ever attended the church where, where I am? And then there's, there's, I mean, there's other things in the New Testament that talk about one another's and singing the gospel to one another, confessing sins to one another, bearing one another's burdens, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Mm-hmm. It's very, very hard to live out New Testament Christianity if you're not in some kind of committed fellowship with a local church. So that's a, a helpful caveat, Jonathan. Maybe, maybe that's not called membership mm-hmm. in an official capacity like that in, in people's lives, but that's what I'm talking about. Some type of local community of believers where there is mutual commitment to one another. There is a group of at least one man or ideally a group of of men serving as elders who are overseeing that church. And the reason why I think that is, is so important and why it's so necessary for partnership is one thing I just said, you can't carry out, you can't live out New Testament Christianity without committed involvement in a local group of believers. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yes. So that would be, so, Hey, that was an easy question. Absolutely. And yes, Uh, a second, a second reason is with all my caveats that I just said, and and just real quick, the reason I say that is 
I, your context helps in terms of yeah. learning, right? And I'm in a culture in the North where what seems obvious for us, maybe when we lived in Kentucky or the South in the Bible Belt, maybe there's just ways to nuance things because there's different traditions and the way people talk about things. And we would land at the same spot. I think all of us would. And yet uh, I'm also surrounded by people who truly love Jesus. And this idea of membership is simply new to them. And it's simply a matter of discipleship. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Uh, A second reason why I think that, that membership is vital, important, with all with all of Jonathan's caveats, is it because there are particular things that churches can do that individual groups of Christian fellowships can't do. So there's things that churches, with its structure of elders and membership, can do that Bible studies or groups of friends getting together can't do. One of those things is exclude somebody from their their membership, putting somebody out. There's a formal way to do that in church membership. At our church, to be a member, you agree to our statement of faith and to live by our church covenant. If we find you in unrepentant state of being out of accord with one of those two documents, then it's a long process. It doesn't happen right away, but we can remove you from that. And it's hard to, if you're just a group of friends, I mean, I guess you can change the meeting space and not tell the guy you want to exclude where you're meeting next. But there's no real way to say, okay, you're not a, a part of us anymore. Another thing is that churches are to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's something that's given to the church and not necessarily to individual friends. Would you guys agree with that statement? I'll let John answer first. I would agree with that statement. Why? Why why should like if we're if we're hanging out and we're having great fellowship and we're confessing sin. It's like, man, we want to we want to consecrate this. I'm going to take the Lord's Supper together. Why should we not do that? Sure. The, the reason we should not do that is because the Lord's Supper, and I would also add baptism, are ordinances that are given to the church uh, by the Lord Jesus. And so you can read through... Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 28, and you see how the Lord Jesus is preparing his disciples and he is uh, giving them uh, the keys of the kingdom, keys to bind, keys to, to loose, to determine who, based on their testimony of faith in Christ, is living as a faithful believer who should be welcome to the fellowship, who should experience the covenant blessings that include baptism, uh, Matthew 28, that would also include Lord's Supper, uh, baptism being the initiatory right into the fellowship of God's people, the Lord's Supper being the, the continuing right, the looking forward to Christ consummating his kingdom. All of these things are given to the church. And so to do them apart from the church would seem to go against what the Bible has set forth. So can I ask a question, John? Yeah. So you said it's given to the church. You referenced Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and then Matthew 28. Church doesn't exist there yet. Is that right? The text talks about the church. Yeah, Matthew 16 and Matthew 18 are both going to use the word church. Mm -hmm. 
So you're taking that. So somehow you're, what you're doing is you're tying the keys of the kingdom to baptism. Why are you doing that? And I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just I'm just pressing in on questions I don't know some people would ask. Sure. So Matthew 18, you know, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others by the evidence of t- that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if you, he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. And so here we have Jesus establishing church membership and tying it ultimately to the authority of his people that he is creating through his death and resurrection called the church. And this people, these disciples that he is forming into his church there in Matthew 18 are the same ones who are in play in Matthew chapter 28, 28. Mm-hmm. where where Jesus calls us to go and to make disciples and to baptize them uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's so a do- between who he's talking to and the way the church is being formed and all of this. So are you seeing baptism as an exercise of the keys? Because that's the, because it's the, the keys are mentioned in 16 and 18 as tied to the church, which I completely agree with you. And then Matthew 28, it's going baptized. So is baptism, they're tied to the keys. This is an exercise of the keys. Who is a gospel confessor? Who is not? Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a connection there because baptism is a public declaration that Jesus is Lord. It, it is the sure the entryway into the church. So if someone comes forward and and professes faith, they show signs of repentance, they yep. they follow through into baptism. Then the church then sees a person who is walking in line with the gospel, and they can yep. then exercise the authority to recognize them as a church member, a part of the covenant community. Yeah. I don't disagree. Yet. Hey guys, we're, yeah, we're, we're, running yeah, we're, we're getting off a little bit. Here. Well, I think it's important though, because this is massive. The question you ask is why is this tied to the church? And the re- this is, this is where you push against individualism uh, where we're doing the Lord's supper to, uh, by ourselves. We're doing baptism by ourselves, And what we haven't done in my opinion is read carefully enough and pay attention to how these things are tied to the covenant community. And so this idea of linking arms, partnering together is even assumed in the way that the Bible talks about the ordinances. This is something you link arms with other believers to do. But what if someone was to come in and say, yeah, these four or five guys in my living room, we're linking arms. Yeah. Then I would say if you've covenanted together uh, and uh, in terms of we agree to live out the Christian life together uh, under each other's authority. We are submitting ourselves to one another, and we're going to give ourselves to to proclaiming the gospel. We're going to give ourselves uh, to the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Then those four guys have become a church, and thus they can do. They should practice the ordinances together. But if it's detached from the their local covenant community, then they should not, because of what John talked about. Because these things are tied to the local church, and 
if we go, so we've seen that with baptism, you see it in the Lord's Supper. If you go to First Corinthians and Paul, I think five times in the same chapter, when you come together, 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 you take the Lord's Supper. Uh, so that's that's another reason I would say that Paul's assuming churches are doing this when they gather, when they assemble. And it's a picture of not only the forgiveness of sin, but also their unity with Jesus and with each other. And so that makes the most sense in the context of the gathered church. That's good. Helpful. So we're getting on to about the time we want to wrap up, but we did want want to talk about one other thing. We might think as Christians about we need friends close ties in the gospel to help us. We might even think about, I need to be a part of a a good church. But maybe something we don't think about as much is partnerships on a church-to-church level. So churches linking arms together. I think we want to to say that that's also helpful for us in the Christian life. So Jonathan, you wanted to give some thoughts on churches linking arms together and why that's important? Yeah, we want to link arms together for the purpose of mission, we are better together. We see this in the, we see it in the Bible. I mean, churches are working together to accomplish things. They're giving to one another. You have uh, in first Corinthians 16, you have this mention of a collection for the saints. So the churches in Corinth are given to these churches in the area of Galatia. And so there's this partnership in order to accomplish the mission and Christians have historically seen the need for churches to work together to accomplish the great commission. Uh, The Southern Baptist Convention, which all three of us are part of, uh, came together in order to better reach the world for Christ. They called it uh, in the early days. So the Southern Baptist Conventions formed in 1845, and they come together and they called it one sacred effort. Uh, And so you had this one sacred effort to do what? Well, this one sacred effort to reach the world for King Jesus. And so it's valuable for churches to link arms in various ways. And so I'm part of a number of different organizations. I'm part of the North American Mission Board, which is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and so I have churches around me that are part of the same network. And we we meet together. We pray together. We strategize together. I just had a meeting last week in Minnesota, or I'm sorry, in Wisconsin with several pastors from Minnesota, Wisconsin, talking about how we can plant churches together in different areas outside of our major metropolitan areas. And then I'm also part of Treasuring Christ Together, this network of church plants that come together around a very tight theological document. And so we here in Southern Minnesota have the Treasuring Christ Together Southern Minnesota Network and several churches where guys get together. We pray pray for each other. We hold each other accountable. We encourage each other, spur one another on. And we're trying to bring our churches together to reach, uh, to, to plant more churches here in our area. And the reason we partner is because we are better together. We can do more together than we can by ourselves. Yeah, Jonathan, one of the things that I love about being a Southern Baptist is the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist convention, which if, if you're not sure what the, what the cooperative program is, it's a, it's a funding mechanism that Southern Baptist give toward to partner together for the sake of missions as as you were talking about there Jonathan and and one of the things that I love about it is that about 75% of every dollar that makes it on its way to the national cooperative program ends up going out to missions and through those efforts 
all of our Southern Baptist churches can support, financially support, something like 5,000 international missionaries and countless other North American church planners like, like you and take the gospel to, to the ends of the earth. And what's so great about that is the average Southern Baptist church is what, like 50 to 100 people or so? Somewhere in Yeah. So, so for any one church to be able to fully support missionaries based on our average size is going to be pretty challenging. But when we partner together and kind of pool these resources, uh, we can send out thousands and thousands of missionaries across the world uh, for the sake of the gospel. So as you've said, Jonathan, we can certainly do more together than we could on our own. And not just that, but we get more people involved in the work of reaching the nations because now every, every church member who is giving or uh, going as, as a missionary and, and doing this through the cooperative program is, is playing a, a hand in seeing the gospel spread to, to the ends of the earth. And so more, we can do more together than we can apart and get more people involved along the way. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, one of the things, last thing I'll say is one of the great things that we have an opportunity to do when we work together, you have different churches from different places made up of, uh, uh, diversity themselves, you have a diversity and unity or unity in diversity. And what it is, is you have uh, churches that are diverse coming together uh, for one purpose, and that is to spread the gospel of King Jesus. And in the very fact that we do that, we point people towards a God who is a unity in diversity. Uh, and so it's our partnership is not simply about spreading the gospel, which it is, it's also about pointing people to the very God whose mission we are undertaking. Yeah, I think, John, what you were talking about, the, the cooperative program, and this isn't a, the SBC did not give us money to plug the cooperative program here. It's not an advertisement for it. There are other networks that are out there, other associations of churches that, that do great things. It's just the Southern Baptist Convention's cooperative program is what we know the most. I think about why the why the, the regular average church member should care about these things. If you're in a church of 30 people, then you might feel like hey, we're not really doing anything for the nations. We're not really, we're not able to. We can barely pay our pastor, barely, barely keep the lights on. If your church is a part of the SBC and giving to the cooperative program, then you are a part of everything that the cooperative program does in sending missionaries, in sending out church planners, in training up future pastors through the seminaries. You can be a part of doing all that, no matter how big or small your church happens to be. I think another reason why it's good for us to strive for partnerships in between churches, again, just as, as like for us as pastors, I think there's, there's a lot of things we can point to, but I'm thinking about church members when we understand that we're in partnership with other churches, it helps protect us from a spirit of competition that I think can sometimes be unhelpful and even even anti-gospel. One of the things we like to do in our church services is we pray for other churches in our particular area. I have I got a friend named Phil Howell, and, and he talked about how he wants to pray for other churches in his services in a way that makes people think, man, it sounds like he wants 
more to go on there than he does here because we are so passionate to see God work at other churches. Sometimes, you guys feel that? Sometimes there can be a competition between churches and we all feel like we have to have an edge over the other churches in town. Here's why everybody should come here and not to those other places. You guys feel that pull? Sure. Yeah. And you think it can be unhealthy? I mean, obviously we go to our church because we think it's a faithful Bible gospel church or because they're paying us to work there. Uh, But we think it's a good place to go, but there can be an unhealthy idea of everybody should come here too. And almost a sense of jealousy or a sense of disappointment if something really good is going on at another church. If that kind of stuff is going on in our hearts, I said that's anti-gospel. Man, if, if you were to hear that God is bringing revival and bringing people to faith in Christ at, at a mind-blowing rate, and you haven't seen maybe a baptism in a while at your church, if you're going to be upset about that, you know, there's, there's something in our heart that we want to fix. You guys agree with that? Yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, we, listen, in, in Lexington, there's, there's 300,000 people we need more churches to be able to to reach these people. And if we're going to be committed to seeing Lexington come, come to faith in Christ, we ought to be celebrating what God is doing through other churches rather than selfishly going about moping over ourselves because we see God's work in them uh, at an alarming rate that we may or may not see in our own congregation. Yeah, I had I was having lunch with a pastor a little while ago. And I'm here in Chicago. There's a quarter of a million people within five miles of our church. And he was talking about how he had tried to meet up with other pastors. And he, and he felt a little bit, because they were a new, younger church, he said some of the established churches felt threatened and they didn't want to get too close to him. But this guy said to me, he said, Dustin, both of our churches could grow to 10,000 people and we wouldn't even make a dent in the lostness in this area. It reminded me of how silly it is for us to, to compete with one another. We should be joyful and thankful when we see God raise up and grow and do wonderful things at, at other churches. Hey guys, any last thoughts before we wrap up on, on partnerships and how important they are? Any quick thoughts? No, I don't have any. I, th- I think um, partnering together for the gospel is one of the best things you can do with your life. John, any last yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I mean, p- partnership, it's its vital to to who we are as, as people created in the very image of God. It's not good for us to be alone. And as we've talked about living out the New Testament, the New Testament, when it says you, most of the time it's y'all, my Southern version, it, it demands living life together for the sake of the gospel. And so partnership, fellowship, community uh, in the context of the church, it's just vital for us as Christians. Good. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope it was helpful and we'll talk to you next time.